0: You're listening to a podcast from 702.
1: 702.
0: The car feature.
1: With Nicole Lowe. Yeah, so today we're hanging out with Nicole as he helps you out with technical problems uh, that your car may be having. Um, so by implication, you're having those technical problems. So give us a call now to chat to him. 11 Nicole is at hand. Uh What issue is just stubborn, stubborn, stubborn? Uh, maybe a, a question that you have about the workings of your car. Nicole has been studying vehicles for so many years, and his latest interest has to do with the position of the engine, and that's what we're kicking off with. Good afternoon, Nicole.
2: Hi, Z- Hi Zania. Hi, listeners.
1: Yeah, good to be with you again. Happy September to you. Um, so you've been looking at the pros and cons of um, engine location in a car. Where where are the places that engines can be located in a vehicle?
2: yes Uh, so let's just start with the basics the engine is the single heaviest component in the vehicle Mm. so it influences the center of gravity of the vehicle and the dynamics of the vehicle so let's look at a few options where you can fit the vehicle first is obviously the one that we found uh, most common is the front engine vehicle so most of the engines will be in front Uh, the advantage of that is uh, the airflow to cool the engine over the radiators is easily accessible because in front of the vehicle. Uh, Packaging wise, it works very well to have the engine up front. Then your cabin is nice and spacious. You've got a boot in the back. Um, you've got a front wheel drive uh, vehicle with a front engine. Then there's also a very short path for the torque moment, the power to actually go to the wheels. So mm-hmm. you don't lose a lot of, there's a lot of uh, inefficiencies in, in that path. Um, also, from a stability point of view, uh, to have the weight up front it gives you a lot of straight line stability. Think of a of a dart that you throw all the weight is is up front, so that actually helps you with stability. Mm. Um, the negatives about having the, the a front engine vehicle like if a front wheel drive is if you accelerate hard. All the, all, you get a weight transfer to the rear and, and you lose traction on the front wheels. All the guys with the hot hatches, they will know that put their foot on from a, from a standing start. Mm-hmm. There's always the chance of slipping front wheels. Mm. Um... Yeah, and then obviously because you've got your, your mass up front, um, there's a tendency if you corner hard that the car wants to understeer. It wants to push the nose wide. Right. So if we think about then the other option of having the engine in the rear, so to give you a few examples, we all know the VW Beetle, the historic VW Beetles, always got the engine in the back. I own a 1973 Beetle. It's always a lot of fun uh, when uh, uh, petrol want to check the oil of the engine and they go to the nose, because obviously the engine is in the back. And also your Porsche 911s for example have the engine in the back, so the the pros of having the engine in the back, um, especially with a rear wheel drive uh, vehicle, is that the mass is over the rear wheels, your weight transfer goes to the back, there's a lot of traction then, Um, so that helps you with acceleration. The negatives having the engine in the back, the airflow is difficult to get the engine, so your radiators, like for Porsche 911 and that, that's why a lot of engine engine older vehicles used to be air-cooled as well. Um, and then obviously you lose your boot, uh, there's no boot in the vehicle, and your front in the front there's sometimes a small cavity to boot stuff, but it's not the size of a boot. And then from a stability point of view, straight line is not great. People with uh, old Beatles will know there's a crosswind, and you have to drive at high speed. It's actually difficult to keep a car in a straight line. Um, and also during cornering, you've got this big mass in the back, so it, the tendency for the vehicle is to oversteer, to turn more than you expect. So mm-hmm. the car wants to swing around. So obviously the best, way, best place to put the engine is between the two axles, and then you then you talk about a mid-engine car. Wow! And um, because then you get your fifty-fifty weight distribution on on the wheels. But mm-hmm. unfortunately. If the engine is between the wheels, your carbon size has to shrink, and it will probably only be a two-seater. And now we talk about sports cars or mid-engine supercars, So that's why they do it, but you lose two seats, uh, the perfect weight distribution. The problems with mid-engine is, again, cooling is a problem to get the air to the radiators. Uh, maintenance is, uh, is horrendous to try to get to that engine that's in the middle of the vehicle for maintenance is difficult luggage space is limited hmm. but yeah from a dynamic dynamic point of view uh, performance wise mid engine is stopped so that's why you'll see all the supercars have got mid engine uh, oh. mid engine placements
1: Wow, nice yes. one Nicole, thank you for that explainer um, and maybe you've got a question about where your engine is located in your car, let's take your calls now on um, uh, your your cars and whatever technical problems you may be having, chat to Nicole who's a technical specialist and former technical editor for Car Magazine We go to Santon now, Kay, good afternoon Good afternoon Azania and thank
0: you for taking my call Sure. I think this is a super program and, and, and thanks for all the help that you give us mm. over the time yes but the reason i'm calling you is i own a fortuna mm. uh, 3 liter d4d and it what it does is you can be traveling along at 100 kilometers an hour or 120 uh, driving like a absolute dream and then all of a sudden uh, it just loses power
3: mm. you know
0: and and uh I've taken it in and and had it assessed and, you know, they put it on diagnostics and everything else and nobody can tell me why it's doing that.
1: Mm. So it happens uh, when you're moving at more than 100 kilometers an hour, doesn't...
0: Well, you know, sometimes you're doing 80 or 70 and for no apparent reason, it just does it
1: randomly. And how does it pick up power again? Or does it, I mean, Uh, after... uh, And
0: then, you know, if you you, uh, nurse it along... Yeah. It's like in limp mode and you nurse it along and then all of a sudden it picks up power again, you know. Mm,
1: mm. Uh, Nicole, what's so, causing this momentary choke or like this uh, loss of power in a, a fortuna?
2: Yeah, intermittent fault like that is sometimes very difficult to find. You've um, done the right thing of going for a diagnostic check because if one of the sensors are playing up, it's got an intermittent fault, that would show on the diagnostics. Mm. Um So a few guesses would be, I mean, it's a fortunate D4D, so that's that 3-liter turbo diesel engine. Uh, the only way that you will lose power is, number one, maybe not enough fuel is getting to the engine, so make sure uh your your fuel pump, high pressure fuel pump, low pressure fuel pump and the fuel filter is, is is clean so that you can get fuel to the engine. Mm. And then obviously it's a question of getting air to the engine. So then um as it's a turbo diesel as well, if there's a problem with a turbo uh not a wastegate actuator or it's even a variable nozzle turbo, I think the b 4 D is still a wastegate actuator. Um, that controls the boost from the turbo. So if the turbo is not taking any boost for some other reason, then the engine becomes like a naturally aspirated diesel, which is very sluggish. Oh. You, would ex- you would expect if it's a, a lump um, function invoked by the ECU to protect for engine protection reasons, then it should come up with a, with a sort of a, a warning or a message on the instrument cluster either a a light that goes on amber light that looks like an engine or maybe a message that will say lymphome or so if it doesn't then ECU is not aware of what this problem is Mm. Um, so I would guess first of all check uh, that the engine always gets uh, fuel gets diesel and secondly check that the engine that the turbo is actually producing boost so it can be the turbo itself it can be the intake to the turbo because remember Sometimes I've heard about what can happen on the intake side is if that plastic part that feeds the air to the turbo becomes soft, it can actually oh, right. suck it sort of close and really choke it off air as well. So mm. that's a few things that you can check, but it is a, a difficult one to,
1: to, to find. diagnose, right? Okay. Uh, there are a few Thank you very much. I did. It's
0: a super show, and, and I, I'm going to try that. Mm. Although, you know, every time I took it in for a diagnostic, they say, no, there's nothing wrong. It's totally perfect. Yeah, and, and it drives beautifully, and all of a sudden, a random it just decides to, you know, go on the blink.
1: And who wants that uncertainty? Kay, you know that's that's equally unpleasant. Thank yeah,
0: you. Uh, recently mm. on a trip to Cape Town. It, it did that about three or four times, going there and coming back.
1: You know, mm, mm, mm. so also t- quite dangerous.
0: You know, to Just put your foot off the accelerator and take it easy. But it's dangerous if you're overtaking or something. Of like course,
1: that. of course. Yeah. Kay, thank you for the call. Do try out the check thank out uh, those three suggestions. Thanks a lot. So that's Kay in Santen. Yasin, you are in Indonesia. How's it?
0: Hi. Uh, how's it, uh, Nico? How's it, Tanzania? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a very similar problem. Mm. Mine is a T thirty two AMG, uh, and as you drive it, she, she's perfect on the road, and all of a sudden, ESP kicks in. And she goes into a, a slump mode and she, she delays. Now I'm, 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 I'm of the opinion that, uh, possibly the catalytic converter that I see that was taken out, uh, and I'm of the opinion that that probably, maybe that's the reason why this thing happened, but it, it just goes into a slump mode. I got to pull off, switch the car off, Ooh. start again, and then I'm okay.
1: Ah, so in your case, you pull over and uh, switch off the car. Um, Nicole?
2: Just a question, what uh, message do you see on the instrument cluster? What light? Is it the ESC light? The stability control light that comes on? ESP. Okay, so um, what I would say in this uh, situation, it's probably not the catalyst. I mean, you can always do a diagnostic check to see what codes it displays. But if the ESP, that's your electronic stability program, as the term they call in Mercedes, which looks at uh, wheel slip, for example, and what can happen is if one of your wheel sensors uh, is playing up, um, so it's reading a wrong reading or either too fast or too slow, there's something wrong coming from that reading from the wheel speed sensor. The, the ECU might think, oh, shucks, the car is in a spin and I need to cut the power until until stability returns. So, um, it sounds like uh, to me an uh, intermittent fault on either one of the wheel speed sensors or even your ABS, uh, pump, uh, system. Hmm. So, I would guess take it for a diagnostic check, but not on only on the, on the engine control unit, also plugged into your ABS unit because that will keep the fault codes for the, uh, the wheel speed sensors, because the, the, the reason why I, I think it's one of the wheel speed sensors is that's normally the cause of the ESP light coming on an instrument cluster.
1: Right. Hey, okay. okay, great. Thanks. Thank you. That's Lessine in uh, Um Nicole, let's next go to Pretoria with OJ. Hello, uh, OJ. Hi, hi, how are you? Very good, and you? I'm no thank you. As I What a situation, man. I just need to find out uh, if I, uh,
0: uh, uh, you, you drive a, a vehicle without the oil. And then uh, if, if it knocks the engine, what happened exactly inside the engine? So that's exactly what happened today. Mm. Uh, my wife drove the NT200 without the oil, but it didn't give any indication that there that's was not- a shortage of oil. So, and then, um, yeah, she just phoned me. I had to drive it. Uh, I had to tow it, take it to mechanic, and then I'm just still waiting for um, the mechanic to tell me exactly what
2: happened in there
1: so mm. I, I
2: don't know what might i expect
1: okay nicole
2: yes so the bad news is that the oil is the lifeblood of an engine so running an engine without oil can lead to terminal damage um what the oil does is it separates the moving surfaces inside the engine from each other that it's not you don't get metal to metal contact so when you talk about, uh, you'll hear about somebody said, uh, um, I've got a bearing knock in the engine or I lost a bearing in the engine. What you, he, what is talking about is, for example, the crankshaft is a component that rotates and it rotates inside bearings, what we call general bearings, and it has got a, a small foam of, of oil that actually keep the metal surfaces apart. So if you lose the oil, the, the metal surfaces actually start to touch, and because it's one is rotating at a very high speed, the, the bearing side is stationary. Um, it heats up pretty quickly, and it almost welds uh, together, and then it starts ripping some uh, parts of the the, the bearing uh, out, and it's just an ugly process. And I mean, if we talk about Moving components, the pistons that move up and down the bores, um, they've got a slight oil film on the side as well to protect. And then you talk about your valve trains, your, your camshafts and the lobes and the valves itself that uh, open and close. That's all got an oil film. So it's oil galleries running everywhere, supplying, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, the lifeblood of the engine to all the moving components. So you take that oil out, and all the metal surfaces will start to contact each other. And, uh, it will lead to terminal damage. So, it all depends on how quickly you catch this. If, if the oil drops on the ground and you immediately switch off the engine, um, you sometimes get lucky that no damage happens. But if, if you drop oil, all the oil, hmm. and you keep driving, uh, that will definitely lead to terminal, uh, damage in the engine. So, it all depends that it lose all the oil at once at the same time, or does it just wink, uh, if the oil level was just low, yeah then maybe, maybe you're still lucky that there's no terminal damage, but you know, don't want to run an engine without oil, that's
1: mm, not advisable. And the fact that the car didn't indicate, or the systems didn't indicate, that the oil was low, uh, so those sensors must be broken yeah, as well?
2: Depends on which vehicle we're talking about. Okay. Some of the modern cars has got an oil level sensor that will tell you when the oil level is low, and most vehicles will have an oil pressure sensor, which just looks for oil pressure. So obviously when you, when, when the oil is out of the engine, if the oil pump can't produce the pressure anymore in the galleries and the, and the sensor, which is basically a switch open or closed, will just tell you there's no oil pressure and it will come, a, a red light will come up on your instrument cluster. Normally you always, you'll always see that red light on the instrument cluster before the engine starts. And then when the engine starts and the oil pressure bolts, that light will extinguish and so will go away. Mm. But then while you're driving and that red light comes on, it means there's low oil pressure. But what I've seen from my um, engineering days uh, is that like, well, once that light is on, yeah. you get terminal damage very, very quickly. You mm. always need to switch off immediately when you see that light. Otherwise, the damage already there.
1: Sure. Uh OJ, good luck with that. Hopefully the damage hasn't been done yet, but um it's 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 not a good picture. Yeah, that is uh, OJ. I think we've lost him there, calling from Pretoria. Good luck. Sydney, you're in Edenvale. Welcome to the show. Uh,
0: hi Nico.
1: Hi Sydney. Um
0: no problem uh with the Volvo X D sixty Adiro. Sometimes when I'm driving on the highway, it just says a suit filter full, and it also just loses power, and um, when I took it in for diagnostic, they didn't see anything, and when I went into YouTube, someone says if you drive maybe 140, 160 for maybe 5 to 10 minutes, it clears, but um, I don't think that's the right way of, of, of mm-hmm. solving the problem. How can you help me?
1: Okay. Nicole?
2: Yes, I think I know what is going on. It's a diesel, uh, Volvo, the xc yes. 60s They all fit it with diesel particulate filter. So it's an emission device that fits in the exhaust system, catching all the soot that's produced from a diesel engine. Um, but that the diesel particulate filter uh, fills up over time. So it depends. It can be between say 600 and a thousand kilometers. That filter will become full and the engine will go into a regeneration mode. A regeneration means that the uh, exhaust temperature gets raised and it sort of burns off the particles in, in, in the the filter. So it uh, regenerates it and it cleans it out again. So that's a cycle that that happens, say, every 600 to 1,000 k's. If you drive a lot in town, uh, you produce more soot and that cycle needs to happen. And when that regeneration cycle happens, it takes about say three to five minutes to regenerate the filter but if you just do stop, start driving switching off regularly then it hasn't got time to clear the filter so that's why Uh, people will advise to go and drive on the motorway because that's the best chance that it gets to clean that filter is a steady-state drive. You don't have to go 160, you can drive 100, but just steady-state, it will uh, then clear out the filter. Um, But as the cars get older and older, that system degrades. Mm -hmm. And it sometimes gets to the point where it fills up and you just can't clear it anymore, and you have to take it to the dealer to do what they call a service region where they, they clean the filter under controlled conditions at the dealership. But yes, it is a problem with uh, older, older diesel uh, vehicles that the uh, regeneration progress, uh, process doesn't work as well as it used to. Um, and I know that some aftermarket companies will actually remove the, uh, diesel particulate filter of old vehicles and put it straight through, through pipe. But then you have to wow. pull the diagnostics of the system as well. And obviously it's bad for the environment because now all the particulates just get emitted straight to, Environment, But I mean, on an old vehicle, if you want to replace a DPF filter for a new one, it can be very, very costly. So that's the options that you have.
1: Does that have
0: anything to do with a catalytic converter or it's totally separate?
2: No, that's separate to the catalytic converter, uh, DPF filter, diesel particulate filter is basically just a trap for the particulate. So you'll see when you drive behind, a, for example, an old truck or a bus, you see that diesel plume of uh, black smoke emoting from the exhaust. That's yeah. all the particulates. So in your XC60 or all the modern diesel engines with that filter, when you start a diesel engine up and you drive it, you won't see that black smoke anymore because it catches all the soot. So that's what that uh, filter does. It looks like a catalyst underneath, and it might be a catalyst just before that. But a diesel particulate filter is not a catalyst.
1: Okay, Sydney, there you go. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for the call, and Nicole, thank you for all your help. No problem. Thanks well on well. Yeah, just listeners. to echo what Kay said, thank you for always helping. Uh, so once a month we hang out with Nicole so he can answer your technical problems. Uh, always uh, so useful in sending us in the right direction.